Welcome to Sorry for Apologizing. I'm your host, Missy Modell, activist, strategist, and recovering chronic apologizer. In this podcast, we'll explore all of the ways women have been conditioned by society to play small, whether it's being expected to have children, tolerate chronic pain, or accept gender inequities from orgasms to paychecks. This season, we'll work to challenge the cultural beliefs that brought us here and discuss all of the reasons why we should be asking for forgiveness rather than permission. It is time to stop apologizing. Sorry for apologizing. Welcome to part two of I Froze My Eggs. I am joined by one of the closest people to me, my brilliant cousin, Rachel Tippograph. Hi, Rach. Hey, Mist. Who's also the founder and CEO of Micmac. Have to plug. Thank you. What's up? Micmac.com, even though we're about to talk about fertility. A natural progression. So speaking of fertility, we both froze our eggs, not so recently from one another. So when did you freeze your eggs? The month of April. And Mm -hmm. you did it late May or into June, right? Yeah, exactly. And I feel like throughout your whole process, I was just trying to assess every step of the way to mentally prepare. Are you feeling completely back to normal? Yes. I would say it took me six weeks to feel myself again. What did you feel like right after? Right after was the worst part for me. This time leading into it, I actually was doing pretty okay. But after the extraction, I couldn't pretty much walk for two days. So that was a little scary. And then after two days, I was able to walk. I was just really bloated for about two more weeks. You were bloated. Yeah, definitely bloated. Were you surprised? Like, did the doctors prep you for this kind of reaction? Because I feel like they told me minor pain and you got more eggs than me. So maybe that's also why, which we'll get into later. But did you expect to feel... It is a competition. (laughs) No, to feel like so physically low. Yeah, we're both 36. And I feel like I had like a dozen friends who had done this prior to me. So I felt more prepared through my friends than the doctors. Mm. And what I took away from all of my friend conversations, coupled with the doctor, is that everybody is different. So I'm going to have my own unique experience, but I understood the potential things that could happen. So I didn't feel so blind. Was there anything that was shocking? (laughs) I think for me, the shocking part was the end results. And that was probably the most shocking. Do you want to... Reveal? Do you want to talk about it? No. So Without com- disclosing a number, you could just give a, a ballpark. We learned that I'm very fertile. Let's just say that. <laughs> and I am kind of average. You're normal. Yeah, you're normal. Yeah, I'm normal. I would say the most surprising thing was, I don't think I fully understood the trigger shock. That was like really wrapping my head around it. I don't know what time yours was, but I think mine was like 10 p.m. and 1 a.m. and then 12 p.m. the next day. So that was a little nerve wracking because you just didn't want to fuck it up and it's late at night and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I had the same thing. I was so paranoid and nervous and I thought I misread the directions and I just didn't sleep the entire night because I was so afraid I messed up the cycle. But it's very jarring to wake up in the middle of the night to give yourself a shot. Yeah. And it's pitch black outside. Yeah, I Mm -hmm. agree. It's a a weird experience. Yeah, it's very strange. So why don't we go to when did you decide or when was like the first thought about freezing your eggs that you decided or were thinking about doing it? Well, I think the media, when you turn 30 and you're a woman, makes you believe that you are now infertile. So as soon as I turned 30, I started thinking about my fertility. And I'm, Mm. as you know, I'm not the type of person that really ever thought about it. And then when I hit my mid-30s, I remember like my 33rd birthday, I'm like, 
oh, I need to really start figuring out when I'm going to do this. And then when I was 34, I told myself I'm doing it when I'm 34. Didn't do it. And then when I was 35, I said, I'm going to do it when I'm 35. Didn't do it. And when I knew I was turning 36, I pretty much held myself accountable. And I was like, I have to do it. And I really planned for it. I decided that for professional reasons, April was the best time for me to do it because I didn't have travel obligations. I have to travel a lot for work. And my whole company knew, like, April is off limits for Rachel. She has to be in New York City. Like, that's what you have to do for this experience, which is crazy. And did everybody on the team know that you were doing it specifically? Yeah. To be honest, that ended up being more controversial than I expected it to be. Hmm. I think this process makes you recognize that fertility is complicated and it is full of emotions and everyone brings their personal experience to it. So I don't know if I made a good or bad decision, but I actually told my company in a town hall that, yeah. (laughs) For that, wait, hold on. Was that the reason you created the town hall? No, no, I leave monthly town halls. But I imagine like an egg-specific town hall. Yeah, so like I just let people know the same way that I imagine if I were pregnant, I would let people know like, hey, in the month of April, I'm going to be doing this medical procedure. I'm going to be freezing my eggs and I'm not going to be able to travel during this time. After I did that, I got messages from female employees that told me that was so empowering. I've never worked at a company where a CEO like publicly talked about their fertility. Mm. And then through my HR team, I actually learned that I also upset some women, which I felt terrible about. And I didn't think about this side, which is some women have had really challenging fertility experiences. And it could be triggering to have your CEO publicly talk about fertility in a work setting. So it made me realize like, whoa, there's a lot of feelings and experiences around a moment like this. Hmm. But was the controversy, because it's not you disclosing your results, it's just the act of doing it was enough to trigger. Was enough to trigger. And that was never my intention. And I felt terrible because I want to create a safe and inclusive work environment. But it just makes you realize like everyone has their own individual experience. I mean, even my mom told me not to tell anybody. And obviously, I do the opposite and do two podcast episodes and document the entire thing. But it's really interesting because she's like, this is a private medical matter. We run in similar circles, but also different circles. And multiple people in the last few weeks have said, I love what your cousin has done. Really? Yeah, it's bringing awareness to this. People who are our age, but as well as people who are our mother's age that follow you. Oh, interesting. I was looking at an apartment and I tell everybody because I have no filter. And I told the realtor that I'm, I just froze my egg. She's like, good for you, sweetie. That's amazing. And she was being so kind and it made me feel really good about it. But it just still to this day, it is something of not only triggering to people, but it also creates discomfort for just the average person. I wonder, was it women or men that complained, if you know? My HR team didn't reveal. Yeah, I got the sense it was women, but um, mm-hmm. I actually don't know. That's a good question. Well, let's talk about your personal journey because our reasons for freezing are a bit different, right? Because you have to freeze your eggs. We don't have to do anything, but you're choosing to freeze your well, eggs. Yeah, I'm choosing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Choosing. Some of the same reasons, but also slightly different yeah. reasons for me. Yeah, so I'm gay. I'm married to a woman who is Ooh. now your cousin, Sammy. <laughs> she is. We love Sammy. <laughs> yes. And yeah, I mean, creating children as a lesbian couple 
requires a level of intentionality that maybe a heterosexual doesn't have to do, but also a lot of them do. And like, that's what you experience in the waiting room. Like Mm -hmm. there's all different types of people in the waiting room. So for Sammy and I, me freezing my eggs was the first step in our fertility journey to have children. Mm -hmm. So I'm not going to say this is the exact playbook, but you can freeze your eggs or embryos. You then find sperm. You can either find sperm from a known donor or you can go on the sperm bank websites and find someone. Mm -hmm. And then you do similar things, but you do all the genetic testing and then they figure out if it's a match and you end up freezing your embryo. And then either Sammy and I carry that embryo and hopefully a child comes from it. But freezing your eggs is the first step. And how did you decide you were going to do it versus Sammy? Sammy's 32. Mm -hmm. So according to the media, she has a few more years on her side than me. Mm -hmm. And Sammy, she's so funny. You know how funny she is. But she, I was always like, and I don't know if this, this is my ego, but I really wanted my biology to be involved in the creation of our children. Mm-hmm. Sammy would tell you that she's less attached to her own DNA. <laughs> Sammy. But we learned from Dr. Brian Levine at CCRM something really, really cool that we tell everyone, which is the DNA of a, a child, a baby, is 40% the egg, 40% the sperm, 20% the surrogate. What? Yes. So the epigenetic parts of holding that embryo gets infused into the baby's DNA. So for Sammy to potentially carry my embryo, her biology will actually be involved in the creation of that child. That just gave me the shoals. I had no idea. I know. That's why I said to Dr. Brian McGee, I was like, this needs to be a PSA. It does. That's mm-hmm. so, and doesn't he specialize in this as well? Like specifically, that's his. Uh, he may, or he might just work <laughs> with all the lesbians that you know in New York City. But yeah, I mean, that's how we ended up at CCRM. Like all of our friends who are lesbians went to Dr. Levine. No, the funny thing about this whole thing is, did you do anything to prep? Because we had very opposite experiences. I took my CoQ10, my prenatals. I did acupuncture weekly, but not my Rachel. What did you do? I just ensured that I wasn't traveling in a month. (laughs) (laughs) Cool. Yeah, I mean, I honestly, this is just me with medical stuff. I don't think about it too much for better or worse. And so we're related through... Our dads are first cousins. And so mm-hmm. your grandparents are my great-grandparents. And my, obviously, you know this, my grandparents are your great, <laughs> your great and uncle. And yeah. when we look at our genes, we're very lucky, but like we have a lot of people that have lived into their 90s. Mm-hmm. And like your grandma, for example, smoked for a while. And she was... Always. She was a closet smoker yeah, and no so one knew. She, she, well, I knew. She pushed it into the far 90s. And so I just share this because a lot of this is just genetic in some way. I'm not going to say that prep isn't valuable. I'm sure it is, but I kind of just like rolled the dice with our genes. Mm-hmm. No, it's really true. And I think it's just so interesting how every outcome for every person is different. And if you do multiple cycles, your outcome's different. Yeah, it's crazy. Like I had a friend that had, I think in like the single digits for the first two rounds and got like 11 or 12 on the third. Mm-hmm. So it's just interesting. What would you tell people that were on the fence about this if they're nervous about doing it? Well, there's something that I was hoping we would get to and maybe this is the appropriate time. Yeah. This is a real privilege. Yep. Freezing your eggs costs a lot of money. Yep. And 
most insurance providers don't cover it. And I feel very lucky that I was able to afford doing this because my insurance doesn't cover it. And every single time I entered CCRM, the practice where we both went, I really thought about my privilege. And for me, I really thought about all the other same-sex couples that want to have children but aren't as financially able. Yeah. So right now, I personally, I haven't started anything, but like I'm just very energized by trying to figure out how to democratize and provide access so more people can participate in this process if they want to. Mm-hmm. That's like the biggest thing that I really took away from this whole experience is right now it is unfortunately only designed for people who can pony up the cash to do it. And it's a lot of cash. And I mentioned this in my other episode with Dr. Nauman because I walk in and you feel the privilege. You feel like you're on the Upper East Side or in a very ritzy environment. It does feel that way. And it made me feel kind of guilty. I don't know if you felt that way. Well, I didn't feel guilty. I felt very privileged and I wanted to use and still want to use my privilege to make this available to hopefully millions of others people one day. Yeah. My friend's company, Cofertility, and I worked with them, they do a model where you freeze your eggs and donate the other half. So that's an option too. But you know, there are certain age restrictions, but that's an amazing start to the that's conversation. Really, that's really interesting. Mm-hmm. What was your question again? <laughs> what was the question? Oh, just for people that... Any other thoughts? Because this is such an emotional yeah. journey. Like, well, the, to, yeah. the first thing is just like acknowledging the financial aspect, and whether it's saving or taking a job with an employer who covers it, like yeah. if it's really important to you, like then figuring wow. out how you're going to finance it is number one. Number two, I think this whole age thing is a myth. And my experience proves that to me. Like I was very concerned I was doing this at 36. And frankly, I got more eggs out of me than someone who did it at 30 that I know. And so in their 20s, honestly. Yeah, I I think that whole thing is a myth and we're all rolling the dice right now. And then the last part is if you're going through it or about to go through it, it's like ease your nerves about it. We're lucky that it's the year 2023. This type of process has been out in market for like 40 years and they've really perfected it. I'm just blown away by how scientific it is. And at least CCRM, Brian, this is an endorsement for your practice, but I felt very safe. Like these people know what they're doing. It's a machine. I felt really safe. As you know, I'm such a hypochondriac and I felt very at ease throughout the whole thing. But it's just, I felt like a human experiment though. I don't know if you felt that way. It's bizarre. Yeah, you really are blown away by science. Like it's crazy. And just how they can predict, okay, you're going to be ovulating now. Like they just know. And in a weird way, I don't know if you feel this way, it made me connect to my body in a way I've never felt before. I totally agree with that. I feel really in tune and almost protective of it. And it's, I got to say this, I'm so proud of you because I know (laughs) how anxious you were feeling about this whole thing. And like, not only did you get through it, but like you brought so much awareness to the process for other people. Strange. Well, now you're going to do it. You're going to return the favor and democratize the whole system (laughs) on a major level. Oh, I'm going to put it on my list of things I want to do. Yeah. Did you have any weird emotions throughout? Like, were your emotions surging? Because we didn't touch upon that. But for me, it didn't hit me until like the end. And I felt, and still do, because I'm still in it. It's only a few days later, feel a bit unhinged. No, it was very clear to me that I had extremely heightened emotions throughout the whole process. And I would say like the whole six-week journey. Mm. Um, I. What was your six-week journey? Not to interrupt you. What was the six weeks for you? 
from starting the shots to getting my period after the surgery oh, and feeling debloated, you know? Got it, got it. I would say my emotions were at an all-time high, which really was a challenge for me professionally. And so, you know, I lead a company and I have employees all around the world. I really cut back on my schedule because mm-hmm. I was nervous to put myself in any sort of high stake situation. Yeah. And that also is a privilege that I can control my schedule like that. But I have just so much respect for every woman in the workplace who's ever had a child in any shape or form how they've done it because we are truly at a disadvantage. Like the amount of hormones that were in me while I had to like lead senior leadership team meetings, my male colleagues who are wonderful, like it's not an equal playing field. Yeah. And it really makes you understand the setbacks that women have had in the workplace because of fertility. Mm. I mean, even just our cycles in general, like I wonder how that contributes to being efficient at certain tasks and ability to concentrate compared to our male colleagues. That's such an interesting point. In Spain now, you can take medical leave for having your period. So, I mean, they they recognize it. Yeah. Wow. Are there any other last thoughts on the matter that you want to share? Get off your chest. The other part was doing this with Sammy. Mm. I was doing it and... It really felt like in that moment, I'm like, Sammy is my wife. Mm. Like, this is like a, and you know, it's different for same-sex couples. Like, right, we can't just like make a baby with our bodies and we need science. And so to feel connected to Sammy through this process was really special. And it just made me want to continue the journey with her. Oh, I mean, you chose each other perfectly, I think. And that this is probably just a further realization, not that you needed it. Yeah, no, it was really special. Did you administer the shots yourself? So the first two days, no. I had this great nurse who I think you saw you, Anna, from CCRM. And mm-hmm. on the second day, I was like, you know, I feel like I could do this myself. And she's like, yes, you can. And I'm going to oh. teach you. And she taught me. And then I did it myself the rest of the time. And it wow. was so empowering to know that I could just give myself shots. Did you make it a routine or did you just kind of like inject and go? No, so we did make it a routine. I did everything at night. I know some people like split it, but it was just easier for me to do it all at night. Oh, you did nothing in the morning? No. How? And I think that's another myth. Oh my God, what? That wasn't an option for me. They're like, do this in the morning and this at night. Yeah, I was just like, can I do everything at night? They're like, yeah, sure. (laughs) Okay, cool. Good to know. Yeah, so I did it all at night and we would do it typically between five and six and we would do it together. And then after we did that, we would like make dinner. And so, yeah, it was special. And then CCRM is in Midtown. My office is in Soho and I'm an early riser. And I would do the 7.30 a.m. slots where you go to the office and they check on you. And then I would walk, it's about four miles, down like 6th Avenue to my office. Oh, that's so nice. And I just felt also more connected to New York City. Like it was like this hmm. moment where I was like with Sammy and New York City. It was really cool. That is really cool. And something that you might not have felt towards New York had you not gone through this experience. That's so cool. Were you ravenous after the retrieval? And what was the first meal you ate? So we drove upstate. We have a house in the Catskills and we also live in Manhattan. I really wanted to be upstate, which I'm glad I did because I like just was in bed. But um, Mm -hmm. Sammy brought me, it was the equivalent of like an Italian sub in a wrap. Oh, that sounds amazing. Cheese. Yeah. Yeah. Salt. Yeah. Yeah. What'd you eat? Everything, literally everything. I had pickles, I had chicken fingers, I had French fries, I had just like 
a lot of carbs, pizza, like an entire pizza pie. Oh my, oh my God. Yeah, I w- could not satiate my hunger. It was bizarre. Makes sense. I mean, we're, we have all these hormones in us. Yeah, and I'm hoping it's calming down because it's been a little bit low feeling the past few days. But I think it'll, once I yeah. get my period. Yeah, and get back into exercise, all the Yeah. That. Have you been exercising yet? Oh yeah, as soon as I got the period, I went straight on the bike. Oh, is that when you can? Yeah, as soon as you get your period, you can start exercising again. Oh, amazing. Oh, we have one final question. Per the show title, what are you sorry for apologizing for? Unrelated to egg freezing, just in your own life. I'm sorry for apologizing for being a first-time founder. Wow, that's really good. Thank you for sharing and being so honest and vulnerable and helping so many people by just sharing. Well, thank you for creating this platform to educate folks. Thanks, Rach. I love you. Where can people find you? Micmac.com. Find me there. <laughs> what about your Instagram? My Instagram is my name. Rachel <laughs> Tipograph is my Insta. And go follow her. All right. Thanks, Rach. Love you. Love you. Thank you for listening to Sorry for Apologizing, brought to you by Rescripted. If you enjoyed this week's episode, be sure to check out the show notes to learn more about our amazing guests. To stay in the know, follow me at Missy Modell on Instagram and TikTok or head to rescripted.com. And don't forget to like and subscribe. Subscribe.